You don't have to necessarily have done anything wrong for things to get completely out of control. It's a terrifying doctrine, but it's not a hopeless doctrine because it still says that there's a way forward, there's a pathway forward, and the pathway forward is to adopt a mode of being that has some nobility so that you can tolerate yourself and perhaps even have some respect for yourself as someone who's capable of standing up in the face of that terrible vulnerability and suffering and that the pathway forward as far as the existentialists are concerned is by, well certainly by the avoidance of deceit, particularly in language, but also by the adoption of responsibility for the conditions of existence and some attempt on your part to actually rectify them. And the thing that's so interesting about that is, well two as far as I'm concerned, and some of this is from clinical experience. You know, if you take people, and I've told you this, and you expose them voluntarily to things that they are avoiding and are afraid of, you know, that they know they need to overcome in order to meet their goals, their self-defined goals. If you can teach people to stand up in the face of the things they're afraid of, they get stronger. And you don't know what the upper limits to that are, because you might ask yourself, like, if for 10 years, if you didn't avoid doing what you knew you needed to do, by the def- by your own definitions, right, within the value structure that you've created to the degree that you've done that, what would you be like? Well, you know, there are remarkable people who come into the world from time to time, and there are people who do find out over decades-long periods what they could be like if they were who they were, if they said, if they spoke their being forward. And they get stronger and stronger and stronger, and we don't know the limits to that. We do not know the limits to that. And so you could say, well, in part, perhaps the reason that you're suffering unbearably can be left at your feet, because you're not everything you could be, and you know it. And of course, that's a terrible thing to admit, and it's a terrible thing to consider, but there's real promise in it, right? Because it means that perhaps there's another way that you could look at the world and another way that you could act in the world. So what it would reflect back to you would be much better than what it reflects back to you now. My experience is with people that we're probably running at about 51% of our capacity. Something, I mean, you can think about this yourselves. I often ask undergraduates how many hours a day you waste or how many hours a week you waste. And the classic answer is something like four to six hours a day. You know, inefficient studying, uh, watching things on YouTube that not only do you not want to watch, that you don't even care about, that make you feel horrible about watching after you're done, that's probably four hours right there. You know, you think, well, that's 20, 25 hours a week, it's 100 hours a month, that's two and a half full work weeks, it's half a year of work weeks per year. And if your time is worth $20 an hour, which is a radical underestimate, it's probably more like 50, if you think about it in terms of deferred wages, if you're wasting 20 hours a week, you're wasting $50,000 a year. And you are doing that right now. And it's because you're young, wasting $50,000 a year is a way bigger catastrophe than it would be for me to waste it because I'm not going to last nearly as long. And so if your life isn't everything it could be, you could ask yourself, well, what would happen if you just stopped wasting the opportunities that are in front of you? You'd be, who knows how much more efficient? 10 times more efficient. 20 times more efficient. That's the Pareto distribution. You have no idea how efficient, efficient people get. It's completely, it's off the charts. Well, and if we all got our act together collectively and stopped making things worse, because that's another thing people do all the time, not only do they not do what they should to make things better, they actively attempt to make things worse because they're spiteful or resentful or arrogant or deceitful or 
or homicidal or genocidal or all of those things all bundled together in an absolutely pathological package. If people stopped really, really trying just to make things worse, we have no idea how much better they would get just because of that. Geppetto, he's a good guy. He has a kitten, you know, the kitten likes him. He makes puppets and he's a humble person. And he knows that compared to the ideal that he's attempting to subscribe to, that he's he's not abased before it or anything like that. He's not despicable in relationship to it. But the reason he's on his knees is because the thing he's pointing at is above him. No, if he, it, it wouldn't be the right aim if it wasn't above him. And so the fact that he's on his knees, so to speak, is only an indication that his aim is proper because you should be on your knees to something that you actually admire. And if you don't feel like being on your knees in front of it, then perhaps you don't actually admire it. And then that means you haven't got the stage set properly. It could be, it should be something that fills you with awe. Your aim should, should be at something that fills you with awe. Because what else, why, why do something else? Well, perhaps because it's easy and perhaps because it's malevolent and all of those things. But, but those are no answer to the problems that beset you. They just make things worse. And that's clear. And so then, Geppetto, having made his pact, his covenant, just like Abraham, he falls into a dream, right? He falls into a dream, and the rest of the movie actually takes place in a dream. And it's a dream, it's the dream within which transformation takes place. And that's laid out, at least in part, time stops in, in, in the Pinocchio story. And everything happens to Pinocchio in some sense in a land that's outside of normal time. And that's that's the infinite archetypal space. And that's a real place. That's a real place. The infinite and the finite coexist. And most of the time, we're in the place of the finite. But that doesn't mean that the place of the infinite doesn't exist. It just means that we can't get access to it. We just get intimations of it from time to time. You know, when things are going perfectly well for you, on those rare occasions where everything comes together, for the brief moment you inhabit that divine place and you have some sense of what your life could be like if you organized it from the smallest element to the largest element. And that's a place that you can inhabit, if not forever, in a manner that at least felt like forever. Well, because of Geppetto's decision, the transcendent manifests itself. It takes the form of the blue fairy. Here, that's the positive element of nature, right? So we could say, well, nature, it's not so clear that she's on your side, right? She's the Red Queen in Alice in Wonderland who runs around screaming, when you go down the rabbit hole, she runs around screaming off with their heads and who says, in my kingdom, you have to run as fast as you can just to stay in the same place. That's Mother Nature. But then we might say, well, how do we know that Mother Nature's attitude towards you isn't negative because your attitude towards things isn't proper? And that's what this film attempts to indicate. The idea is that if you aim properly, then nature aligns itself behind you. Now, it also arrays itself in front of you, perhaps even as an antagonist, but the power that it, it, it provides you with from within might be sufficient to overcome it from without. And I think that, I think that the clinical evidence is clear about that. Because one of the things that we do know is that if you take people who are confronting terrible things and shrinking from them, and you teach them how to structure their behavior so that they can advance with courage. Everything works better for them. Their fears decrease and their character grows. And so 
there might be enough of nature within us to help us withstand the nature that's outside of us. And it depends at least to some degree on how it is that we orient ourselves in the world to some, in, to, to some unknowable degree. Now, Geppetto wants an autonomous individual as a son. And that's also something that makes him a great person because autonomous individuals have their own will. And if you're a tyrant, it's the last thing that you're going to want. And if you're the tyrant who's jealous of his son, it's even more so the last thing you're ever going to want. And so to aim high and to want the development of the autonomous individual are the same thing. And I would say that's the core story in some sense of, the, of Western culture, is that to aim high and to develop the autonomous individual are the same thing. And that's what happens in Pinocchio. That's what happens in the story of Abraham. And the transformation takes place. The magical transformation. And in the Pinocchio story, one of the things that's so interesting about it, and it, this is part of its mythological substructure, from the scientific perspective, there's only two determining forces with regards to the destiny of the individual. There's nature, deterministic, and culture, deterministic. And then scholars wrangle about which of those is the greater force. But in mythological stories, there's always a third element. And that third element is something like autonomous consciousness. And there's no place for autonomous consciousness in the deterministic story of nature and culture. But we all act as if autonomous consciousness is the primary reality. And the biblical stories are predicated on the idea that autonomous consciousness is what gives rise to the world. And I don't think that we're in a position to presume that that is necessarily in error. And so what that means is to aim high and to develop the autonomous individual is is simultaneously the decision to formulate an allegiance with the, the conscious power that brings being into existence.